The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Good morning, Ecclesia. My name is Erica Graham, and I'm so excited to be preaching back here again today. Um, as I was exploring what to preach on today, we're in the middle of a sermon on influential church history figures. And I texted Chris earlier this week, and I said, I really want to give a sermon on Jonah. Can I go off script here? I know we're in the middle of a series, and in typical Chris fashion, he said, preach on whatever you want. So we're going to dive into the book of Jonah today. And I wonder how many of us realize, I'm in seminary, and I thought Jonah was a story, but it's a book in the Bible. And it might take you 15 minutes to find it because it's a couple of thin pages. But it's an entire book with four chapters. And in the book of Jonah, there has been all kinds of controversial discussions. And as I was preparing for this sermon today, I listened to some other sermons on Jonah. And it made me a little sad because a lot of the sermons were stuck in this question of arguing whether it literally happened or whether it was a parable. And they spent a lot of time proving that it was a parable and that it couldn't have literally happened. Or they spent a lot of time proving that it was a literal miracle. And this discussion is vibrant and controversial and I'm here today to tell you that I don't, I'm, my job is not to persuade you that it was a parable or that it literally happened. I think you can fall on both sides of that story and still resurrect a more important truth. And that is what the story is actually getting at. The stories, that the, the questions and the story that are really, really important. Because if you get caught up in just trying to prove literal truth, I think you can end up arguing about things that don't matter. And it's funny, there was a team of scholars and scientists literally arguing about the book of Jonah online. I went down a deep end of just YouTube for a day. And the scientists said, well, whales are flatulent, which means that whales can fart. And he said, if whales are flatulent, that means there's methane gas in their belly. And a person could never survive three days while inhaling methane gas. And the other side of the argument said, well, it's a miracle. So you're underestimating God's ability to create humans that can inhale methane gas. And you guys, they spent probably an hour arguing about whale farts. And how many times do we start arguing about the thing that actually isn't the real thing? Like, when I get mad at my husband about something, it's usually actually about something else. And vice versa. When he's mad at me, it's probably about something else. And I think in the Christian community, it's the same way. And so I'm not here to persuade you. I get distracted when friends walk in. Um, I'm not here to to persuade you 
of one way or the other. You can believe it literally, or you can believe that it's a parable. But either way, you're welcome at Ecclesia, and we can explore the deeper truths together. And so this story has some deep truths. We're going to read most of chapter one. When I first prepared this sermon, I was so excited about the book of Jonah, and I had us reading four chapters. But now I've simplified my message to a simple 30 minutes. You're welcome. So we're going to dive into the first chapter of Jonah, which honestly reads like a comic book. It's just full of action. So the first chapter of Jonah starts out like this. One day the word of the Eternal One came to the prophet Jonah. The Eternal One said, "Get up and go to that power and go to that powerful and notorious city of Nineveh. Call out my message against it because the wickedness of its people has come to my attention." In hearing these instructions, Jonah got up and ran toward Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. I had to practice that word so hard. Jonah got up and ran toward Tarshish from the eternal presence. Now pay attention to that. He ran away from the eternal presence. We're going to come back to that. He went down to the port of Joppa and found a ship bound for Tarshish. He climbed aboard, paid the fare, and made himself comfortable in the hold of the ship. Now to understand what's going on here, I have a map. And so Joppa is modern-day Tel Aviv. And so Jonah was supposed to board a ship in Joppa and sail up to Nineveh. But he said, "You know what? The people of Nineveh are against Israel. They're violent. I don't like them. They're my enemies. I'm not going to go love my enemies like God wants me to. I'm going to sail over to Tarshish." And what we know from what we just read is that Jonah paid for his boat and Tarshish was far away. So Jonah was probably a wealthy person. Because who can afford to just sail across an ocean? Some scholars believe that that would have taken about a year. And so this guy on a whim said, "I'm going to go to Tarshish." And what we also know about Tarshish is that it was a wealthy, economically booming, beautiful city on the coast of Spain. And so this is the modern day equivalent of God calling me to go to Yemen. And I drive to the airport and I look down and I book a flight for Honolulu. And I say, "God, I know you want me to go to Yemen, but Hawaii is where I'm going to go." That's basically what Jonah did. And so the story continues. Not to be deterred, The eternal one threw an intense wind at the sea. The violence of the storm put Jonah's ship in jeopardy of breaking apart. The sailors panicked. They started running back and forth, throwing cargo overboard to lighten the boat. Well, you'd also pay attention to that. Throwing cargo overboard to lighten the boat. So they're just desperate. They're like this doesn't matter anymore. This doesn't matter anymore. Throwing off as much weight as they can. Every man out of desperation cried to his own deity and eventually a sailor found Jonah down in the hold of the ship where he had lain down and fallen in a deep slumber. So they're in this storm and Jonah's just sleeping. He's like ignoring the chaos. When the captain heard, he went down and woke Jonah up. The captain said, "How can you sleep so deeply?" My husband asks me that every night. 
I don't know. I just can. Get up and call out to your deity. Maybe your deity will see what is happening and save us from the catastrophe. So the sailors said, you know what we should do? We should cast lots to find out who is ultimately responsible for our distress. So they cast their lots and Jonah's name was chosen. Jonah shouted back, God is using the sea to punish me. So pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will grow calm again and you'll be safe. This is all my fault. This great storm of my God's anger is built, has built against you because of me. And the sailors fear what will happen to them if they kill one of God's people. The sailors ignored Jonah's advice and tried to row back to land. They made no headway because the violence of the storm kept growing. So Jonah's saying, you guys, God is causing a storm because I'm trying to go to Tarshish. I'm supposed to go to Nineveh. Just throw me overboard. I'd honestly rather die than go to Nineveh. And the sailors are afraid to just kill Jonah on the spot because what if Jonah's God is the right God? So the sailors cry out, eternal one, please, we beg you, do not kill us as if we have murdered this man and don't punish us punish us as if we'd killed an innocent person. We understand that you, eternal one, do as you please. At that, they grabbed Jonah by his arms and legs and threw him overboard. And when they did, the raging sea grew calm. The sailors were even more terrified of the eternal one. They offered sacrifices to him and made promises to him. So if you notice, the sailors were actually pagans. They were not believers in Yahweh, which was Jonah's God and our God. And now the sailors who were pagans are converting and they're making sacrifices and praying to Jonah's God. The eternal didn't let Jonah die. He chose a large fish to swallow Jonah. For three days and three nights, the prophet Jonah sat safely inside the belly of this fish. And so that's just chapter one of Jonah. And there are four. He later goes on to pray in the belly of the fish. And you would think he'd, I, I don't know about you, but if I was stuck inside a fish, I wouldn't pray Psalms of Thanksgiving. But that's what Jonah did. And he quoted the Jewish Psalms, which are our Psalms. And he gave a beautiful prayer in the belly of this fish. And then the Bible says that the whale vomited Jonah onto the shore. And I think that's the most brilliant line in the Bible. If you want to get a Bible verse tattooed, say the whale vomited Jonah onto the shore. It's really spectacular. But it's a great story. It's filled with action. It's interesting. It doesn't make sense. And there are so many important questions in this story that get ignored because we're arguing about literalism and whale farts instead of the really important, compelling, and complicated questions. So I think, the I, I, I think this story has three really important questions, although you could probably find 10. But we're gonna ask three questions from this story today to ourselves. And the very first question we're gonna ask, or I'll invite you to ask, and these answers aren't simple. You might need a day to think about them. But I'd like you to consider, what is your Tarshish? 
Like where, when you know the right thing to do, but you consciously do the opposite, where do you go? A place you go when you don't feel in the right thing could look like pills, alcohol, shopping, porn, gossip, exercise, Netflix, reading, working. I think we use all different kinds of things to avoid doing the right thing because we're afraid that the right thing is gonna be hard. I mean, going to Nineveh would be hard. Going to Yemen would be hard. Hawaii and Tarshish, Tarshish, sounds better. In my personal life, I know when I have a big assignment due, I have one more year of seminary left at the Iliff School of Theology at Denver University. And if I have a big paper due, I usually think it's a good time to start a Netflix series. Like, that seems like a really good time. I get, my Tarshish is Netflix. Um, if I'm having writer's block in the middle of a paper, I usually am pretty convinced that my next paragraph is somewhere in my fridge. Like if I, if I can't think of what to write, I'll just go to the fridge, get a bowl of cereal. But we're always going places to avoid the harder work. And I don't think that's always bad. Exercise, Netflix, working, reading, they're not bad. It's how we use them that makes them bad. And the avoidance of pain often leads to more suffering. Loving our, loving our enemies is the most radical thing in the Christian tradition. Like that is hands down the hardest thing to do is to love our enemies. My, my grandma used to say, kill them with kindness when I was young. And I'd always had that phrase in my head. And I remember there was this one girl on, that we'd always play in basketball in high school and she'd always guard me. And we'd get a little feisty with each other. And I remember one time she was, just kind of had her hands all over me. And according to her, I had my hands all over her. And she said, your hands are all over me. Leave me the bleep alone. And I remember my heart was pounding and I just wanted to say, no, you're the one that's following me and you're the one throwing cheap shots. But I had my grandma's voice in my head, kill him with kindness. And I said to her, I said, oh my gosh, I love your shoes. <laughs> and that's not really kind. That's just passive aggressive and, and maybe even more rude because it's so hard to love our enemies. And I think we have to get quiet enough to hear God's whisper of what our Nineveh is. Where are we called to that is true and good, but maybe we don't wanna go there? The second question, oh, I also thought, let me backtrack. This story, I kept thinking of the pastor Mitzi who is at Elder usually, and she's a female pastor here on staff. And she went to Iraq, and she's honest about the fact that God called her to do ministry in Iraq. And I think about that all the time. Like if God called me to do ministry in Iraq, I think I would just say, um, I think you have the wrong phone number. We're staying in Houston. 
Because it's hard listening to God's call. The second question that I think this story asks us is, when have you seen either or, or us versus them, when you could have seen both and? And that's a weird question, as my mom pointed out when I showed her my questions. It's good, mom. You'll see why. Um, I think this, this story invites us to something greater. Uh, in the story, Jonah believed that God was in Nineveh and he was going to flee God and go to Tarshish. But if you notice, God used Jonah on that boat to convert those pagan sailors to believe in his God. And God used Jonah. And I think God, this, was, this story was a way of saying, oh, you think I'm in Nineveh? I'm on the boat. I'm in that belly. I'm at Tarshish. I'm everywhere. And you're viewing the world through either or, like either I'm in Nineveh or I'm in Tarshish. But this story is proof that I'm in both places and you can't flee my presence. It's both and, not either or. Or we as Christians read this story and we recognize Jonah as the prophet. And we say, oh, he's on God's side. And those pagan sailors, they're not on God's side. They're pagans. They're praying to their own gods, like J.J. Watt and Oprah. Right? They have these other gods. And what this story does is it reminds us Oh, by the way, those pagans are the one praying, making sacrifices, asking questions, caring about the life of Jonah. Jonah, who supposedly has the God that we have, is the one sleeping, wanting to commit suicide off the boat. He's the one that isn't acting as faithful as the pagans. And so it's another situation of God is with Jonah, yes, but he's also with the pagans. And in our faith tradition, sometimes we don't want to admit that. And so often, I find myself thinking in either ors. Richard Rohr calls it non-dual awareness. So thinking in more expansive view is non-dual awareness. And it's hard to harness. And I remember one time I was having a fundraiser for this organization that I'm involved with. Um, called the Young Center for Immigrant Children. And we help advocate for children applying for asylum at the border. And uh, somebody made kind of a nasty comment and they said, why don't you stop worrying about their children and worry about our foster care system and worry about our veterans? And I responded to them and I said, I actually served on the board of the Lady Texans and our whole mission was to help homeless veterans. And I think foster care is so important. And I think this is not an either or issue. It's a both and. And God cares about our veterans and our immigrants and our foster children. And we don't have to pick one because God doesn't. But in our politics, we act like there's one side that God is on in one space. And it's so easy to do. We act like if there's a pie and you take one piece, there's less for everyone else. But that's not how the love of God works. It's not limited. We can admire the transformative power 
of Brant Jean forgiving Amber Geiger this past week. That was an amazing hug. And we can also be angry and furious about racism and the senseless loss of life. So what I think this story reminds us that we can admire forgiveness and demand justice. Don't let people trick you into believing you have to pick one. You can admire and fight for both. Um, my husband and I, when we go on vacations, when I first started thinking about non-dual awareness and this both-and theology, um, I, I got really excited. And when we go on vacations, he often likes to golf, which I prefer not to do. And I like to go to like nerdy seminars and conferences, which he would prefer not to do. And so there was a trip where we got to make both work. And instead of picking, I, we went to um, New Mexico and I went to Richard's Roars, Roars Conference at the Center of Action and Contemplation in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Garrett came and he played the most beautiful golf courses that New Mexico has to offer. And he also went on a Breaking Bad tour. I don't know. He's seen, he's seen the season several times. So there's a picture. That's us at somebody's house in Breaking Bad. It's a, it's a big deal, apparently. Um, also, the guy was home. Oh, can you go back to that? The guy, he sat in his garage and he yelled at us. So we had to back up. He put cones in his driveway. That's Walter. Don't know his last name, but that's Walter's house. And uh, he was not happy with us taking photos. So don't go to Albuquerque and find the house. But we did. Um, I also, we also went to, um, next slide. We went to, uh, the, the, this is apparently really cool if you watch the show. I was pretending to be on my phone. Um, so yeah, we, I, I would um, pray and meditate during the day and then I visited fake meth labs at night. And apparently that trip worked for both of us. We didn't have to pick. And on that trip, there was a video that was released at the conference. And I think it summarizes this idea that we don't have to choose where God is, but God is truly in all things and everywhere. And I just thought that video was a beautiful reminder of just how obvious it is that God is everywhere. And it's impossible to watch that video and believe that God is just in Nineveh or that it's even possible to run away from God in the belly of a whale because he's everywhere. And Jesus mentions Jonah one time in the Bible. And it's interesting because it happens to be in a situation where the Pharisees are struggling to think in a both and expansive way. And they're saying, okay, either you're God or you're human. Which one are you? And they did this all the time to Jesus. Either or. Either you're God or you're human. You can't be both and. One or the other. So show us a trick and then we'll believe you're God. And in Matthew, the Pharisees are saying, teacher, we want to see more, mir more miracle mir miraculous sign from you. Sorry. Um, teacher, we want to see some miraculous sign from you. And Jesus responds, 
You wicked and promiscuous generation. You are looking for signs, are you? The only sign you will be given is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. As the son of man will spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. One day the people of Nineveh will rise up in judgment and will condemn your present generation. For the Ninevites turned from sin to God when they heard Jonah preach. And now one far greater than Jonah is here. And so Jesus contrasts. He said, I'm not going to do any tricks for you, but I will let you know the truth. And that's the promise of my resurrection that's going to be way more impressive and life-giving than some magic. And that's always how Jesus responded when he was put on the spot and tested. And so I think of how scary it would be to be in a whale for three days and three nights or know that the day is coming where you're going to lay in a tomb for three days and three nights. And I think the last question that this story invites us to ponder is what storms in your life have been an invitation to transformation? If you noticed when the ship was being rocked, they literally just threw cargo overboard. And I think that that's what storms in our lives do. They force us to eliminate all the things that no longer have value in our lives. If you've been through cancer or divorce, addiction, loss, grief, I bet you had to throw a lot of things overboard that didn't matter anymore, just as Jonah and the sailors did. And so often we want to be saved from the storm And we would not wish that storm on anybody else. But if we're really honest with ourselves, the storm is often there to save us. Um, I I was debating whether to tell this story all week. And then I went on a walk and I listened to a podcast by Jared Bias, who's a theologian, and he was talking about Jonah. And he said that the Hebrew word for fish, which is dag, when Jonah's swallowed by the whale, it changes to daga. So it goes from a male fish, and then the fish becomes impregnated with Jonah, and it becomes a female fish. And then it goes back to male when he vomits Jonah off. So the scholars were really intentional intentional about changing the gender of the fish to symbolize rebirth and transformation and something new. And it was weird that I was hearing about this fish being pregnant because I was stuck in a storm recently. It was Storm Imelda. I had a blood test and it was a blood test I really wanted to go to. And you should not leave when there are flash floods. That's good advice. I, however, took my car out. And I made it to my appointment. I got a blood test. And I started driving home. And I got a call from my nurse, Amanda. And Amanda said, Well, first, I thought she was calling to make sure I made it home okay because it was a long 
It was about a three-hour drive back home through the water. But when I answered, Amanda said, Erica, I'm so sorry, but you're no longer pregnant. The results came in. And I couldn't believe it. I had felt so important all week, thinking I was going to be a mom. And I felt like I knew how Jonah felt when he said, just throw me overboard. Because as I was driving and I got that call, I thought, I don't even care if my car goes underwater. I don't care about anything. And I went to the gas station, and of course I'm running low on gas, and I'm just sobbing in the gas station. People are looking at me. I don't even care. I just snot down my face. I don't, all my self-preservation went out the window. But that storm, literal, the literal storm of Imelda and my personal storm of an early miscarriage reminded me of what's important in my life. And ever since that day, I've had a sense of purpose and knowing what I want and what I'm willing to go through to get it that I didn't have before the storm. And while I wouldn't wish that storm on anybody, I also know it's a common storm and that it changes you. And my guess is that the storms in your life change you just like they changed Jonah's life. And so I believe that when we're in the belly of the whale and when we're in darkness, now I have snot coming down too, again. When we're in the belly of the whale and when we're in darkness, I think it's so easy to give up hope. But our job as Christians is to be the light in the storm. And I think there are four major things in our faith tradition. There's peace, love, hope, and faith. And sometimes when bad things happen, our faith can, can get diminished. We think, I don't know, does God really care about me? And I think sometimes when we're mistreated and we're fighting and we look at all the evil in the world, we're skeptical that love is anywhere and love goes out. And peace, when we turn on the television and we start fighting with our relatives about debates and we're looking at war and torn countries being ripped apart, it's easy for us to give up on peace. But hope, as the last candle, is our job as a church. And it's to take that light of hope and to set the world on fire. Because the thing about hope is that it has the ability to create peace, to restore love, and to light faith for where it once was. Ecclesia, let me pray with you. Dear God, I pray that as we go out into the world, that you will remember that you are a God that is with us in the storm. I pray that we will remember that it's impossible to flee your presence, 
because you are a God that cares about the suffering of all and not just a few. I pray that we will reflect on our Tarshish and ask ourselves where we go to avoid your deeper meaning and deeper calling in our lives that is often harder but more true. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.